morning. All right. Give your Bible, don't you open those to Luke chapter 10. It is good to be with you today. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Last week we uh, started to really follow up on what we talked about on Christmas Eve where we discussed what it was for Jesus to be the Messiah and how that Messiah, the concept of the Savior of the world, is much larger than what we see and what we think of when we think of the manger. And as we walked through a passage in Matthew last week, for those of you who were not here, we looked at what it meant for Jesus to call the disciples. And we even took the definition of disciple and and tried to give that to us uh, based on what Matthew teaches. And it's pretty simple. If you weren't here, it's it's online. It's provided for you in multiple resources that we, we give as a church. That definition was a disciple is someone who follows Jesus because they've been changed by Jesus and they've committed their lives to fulfilling his mission. One more time for those in the back. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus because they have been changed by Jesus and they've committed their lives to following, fulfilling his mission. So... And if you spent any time with us last Sunday, we we break down what each of those terms means. So we see Jesus call the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew very early on. He he calls the Sons of Thunder, which I still think would make a great wrestling tag team. And he calls the other brothers. And you move forward. And then you begin to see Jesus takes these men who are his first followers and he begins to preach, teach, heal, and they get to watch him. And as they watch him, that eventually progresses to the point where he is going to send them. Because the mission of God is clear. I'm from Tennessee originally. But where I'm from in Tennessee is the southeast corner, which is right above the state of Georgia. Georgia's about to play in the national championship game and will more than likely get demolished by Alabama. And here's why I prefer that. My primary preference for the national championship game would be for the game to never end so I never have to hear from either one of them. However, uh, I prefer for Alabama to win over Georgia because Alabama fans brag about how good they are, win or lose. Georgia fans, if they win, it's basically releasing the Kraken because they've not talked in 30 years. But Tennessee, right above Georgia, still bitter about our football season, but uh, there's this little restaurant chain out of Georgia you may have heard of. It's called Chick-fil-A. Christian chicken, and uh, yeah, justified, sanctified, glorified. Uh, But you have Chick-fil-A, and the original Chick-fil-A was called a dwarf house. Now, most of us, who we when we've experienced Chick-fil-A, we've ordered nuggets, we've ordered the sandwich. Maybe you're the weirdo who orders the chicken salad there. I mean, come on, people, just fry something. But. The original Chick-fil-A was called the Dwarf House. And a man named Truett Cathy creates this chicken sandwich. But they have other things on the menu. They have hamburgers. Much to the chagrin of those cows they put on every billboard everywhere, they're selling burgers. 
So there are 12 Chick-fil-A dwarf houses around the country right now. And based on my knowledge of those, I was in Atlanta in October, drive up to the Chick-fil-A dwarf house, order my stuff. And when I get to the first register, because every restaurant now needs two registers, two drive I don't understand it. But when I get to the first drive-thru, this young lady who's standing there working at a Chick-fil-A dwarf house, I asked her, hey, do you guys sell burgers? Now, she looked at me and like I was from another planet. And she said, oh, oh no, no, we do chicken. That's kind of our thing. Well, of course it is. It's in the name of the place. It's not called the pasta filet. Their mission has been communicated to their employees, even these who work at places that should be selling burgers in, in, regards, in relationship to my history with the place. We do chicken. That's who we are. That's what we do. Their mission is very clear. When we get to the Gospel of Luke... We see this idea of the mission of God laid out for us. And his mission is, is very clear. Let's, let's look together. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, and I'm going to mispronounce multiple words. <laughs> After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, just like the animals in Noah, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest... It's plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The first thing that we see is that the mission is clear. I will recap verse 1 and 2. Part A. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So the first thing that we see Jesus say to us is the call of the Christian, the follower of Jesus, this disciple who has given their lives to fulfilling what Jesus desires for him to fulfill because they have been changed and they are being changed by Jesus, has a very clear mission. And that mission is for us to Enter into the world in which we live for the sake of seeing people know Jesus, respond to Jesus, be changed by Jesus. That mission does not change. It is continually in front of us that those who believe in Jesus have seen and known something that those who do not follow him have not seen, have not known, and we are called to go to the world in which we live. Now that world, as we look through the entirety of Scripture, is is defined, interestingly enough... In a way that calls us to consider what's around us. What's beyond us. What's beyond that and to the ends of the earth. And we live in a world, 2017, some may even use the word culture, where we have been given options that those Christians who came before us did not have. When we look at the mission of Paul, as he sought as a disciple of Jesus to fulfill what Christ had called him to do was different. In that, he was very limited. In, so he was jumping on boats. When's the last time you jumped on a boat not to fish? If we travel somewhere, we don't travel by boat. This isn't the Titanic. We, that thing isn't bad. We can be on the other side of the world in a matter of hours. But that doesn't disqualify the fact that we've been called right where we are. God has placed you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, to be in the midst of the world that he has given you. Are you there? How there are you? How there am I? Well, I would hope that I present a good Christian witness to Jared and Alex when I come to work every day. But for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus where God has called us in a unique way to co-workers who may not claim Christ, to some who would claim nothing, to teenagers, some of you teach, to, to elementary school kids, to parents of those children. Do we see the mission of God as clear that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. What's it mean for us to embrace what God has called us to embrace? Because of the clarity of the mission He's given us. 
So Jesus says this, so, so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Most of us don't want to be harvesters. Most believers don't want to be part, and there are reasons for that. Uh, let me give us some of the reasons that people would claim that they don't want to harvest those who are lost. Those who are far from God. One is that we feel unqualified. And when I, what we mean when we use the term unqualified is that we believe based on something within us or something that we've done or, or, or some characteristic that we have that we cannot do what God has given us to do. Let, let's walk through some scriptural pictures of that. When God called Moses, Moses had lots of excuses. He's not much different than most of us. Because we have lots of reasons. God, I, I don't talk well. God, I, I, people don't want to hear me. I have some great friends with these fantastic speaking voices. I, I love them. Uh, and as I've told you before, about 70% of the time when I order at a fast food restaurant, they think I'm a girl. And I'm always jealous. Like my friends can talk so eloquently with these deep preaching voices. And I'm like, hey y'all. So it's a very weird thing. <laughs> to be unqualified. To feel like we cannot do what God has called us to do. Yet the scriptures seem to say that the empowerment of believers, those who are followers of Jesus because we've been changed by Jesus and committed our lives to fulfilling his mission, our qualification does not come from things that we had when we came into this. It comes from who's with us at this point. Other reasons that we may walk away from the mission that God has called us to. Maybe we're afraid. What if you have a conversation with your neighbor who does not know Jesus and they don't want anything to do with him? What if they look at you differently? What if they treat you poorly? What if they don't care? How do any of those things change your situation from where it is now? Primarily, one of the things that we see is that we're just lazy. Because it's easier for me to not interact with someone who I don't have things in common with. The church as a whole, as it manifests itself in these lowercase c churches, Grace Bible, Brazos Point, others that are, are Bible-believing churches, if we're not careful, what can take place is that that becomes your social setting. So the people that you have the most in common with are the people that you see on a regular basis and, and the thing that you talk about is what takes place here. So you, if we're not careful, you create silos. You complain about the same things. You agree about the same things. You eat the same things. You, you drink the same things. You talk about the... You, everything is the same. You have this commonality and there's nothing wrong with that. The scripture talks about us having common things. 
But when that happens, we can easily lose the mission that God has put in front of us because we exist in and unto ourselves rather than for the world that God has placed us in. Uh, David Platt, pastor uh, of a, a president of the International Mission Board and pastor of uh, McLean Bible in Washington, D.C., said that every Christian this side of heaven owes the gospel to every non-Christian on this side of hell. The idea of being a follower of Jesus is very much heavily presented throughout the pages of Scripture to be uncomfortable. The mission is clear. Well, what's God's method for that? What's God's method for reaching the ends of the earth? The method that God has placed is the church. The church existing as the church and not as a club. The church existing as the body of Christ mobilized by the, what the gospel is. The disciples were an interesting breed. Uh, the reason that I say that is when you look into the history of what it meant to be a disciple. At the age of six or seven, the various rabbis from, a, a, from around the world in which Jesus lived, if you were six or seven years old, these rabbis would begin and they would try to look at you and, and find things within you that were great. So they would pick the best and the brightest, the, the most charismatic, the most energetic. So at six or seven, you have made yourself a disciple of Rabbi X or Rabbi Y. They're not named after algebra term, but just go with me. So they would lean in and they would say, I'm a disciple of him. I'm a disciple of him. I'm a disciple of him. Six or seven years old. So if you were one of those who was not chosen, you had to go into common work. You weren't picked. Do you remember what it was like to play sports in elementary school? When they're choosing teams? Now there were some guys that just get picked first. We've got some of those guys in this room right now. They got picked first. Every time they played anything, I'll take him. We've got some of those guys who are preaching in this room right now. They've got picked last. Every time. <laughs> Still working through it. <laughs> you have the disciples. Jesus starts his mission when he's 30. These guys are 10 years beyond at, at least what it meant to be a follower of a rabbi. John's probably 16. He's probably the youngest. Peter's more than likely 28, 30 years old. Ancient. But Jesus goes to them and says, Come on, let's go. This method. Jesus wants me. And that was fantastic and awesome. I think if we don't remember that Jesus wants to use us as the method. There's some joy to that. For the first time they've been picked, 
But it doesn't seem like they're picked for great things. Just go with me to the next verse. Verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You've been picked. And you are a lamb in the midst of wolves. Now, last time I checked, no farmer. Never rescued an animal. But wolves seek to do what to lambs? They eat them. You've been picked. Go be eaten. Why does Jesus use this lamb terminology? Because for a lamb, it is obvious they're not going to win by force. And for a lamb, every step they take matters. When you look at the history of Christianity, the moments where we have, when I say we, I drop that on there. Because I like to separate myself from the Crusades as much as possible. But the moments where you have seen those who claim to be Christians seeking to convert those who were not believers by force, it goes really bad for us. You don't convert by force. Every step you take matters. Well, another place Jesus says this, be as wise as snakes and as innocent as, wool, as doves. So when you look at this idea of Jesus... He's saying that we need to walk into our situations that he sends us to. And every one of you has a relationship with Jesus sent. You're called to be as wise as a snake. And as innocent as a dove. Because you're not going to convert anyone by force. John Piper says this. Uh, pastor, uh, a former pastor of a church in Minnesota who says lots of smart things. When Jesus sends us to bear witness to him in the world, he does not send us out as dominant and strong, but as weak and seemingly defenseless in ourselves. So for you who feel unqualified when sent, or scared, that seems to be the intent. For there to be a humility that comes because you can't do this. So what do we go with? Commitment? Focus? Winston Churchill, when he entered World War II, said this, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. What's Jesus say to the disciples in verse 4? Well, go and carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. 
That's going to be difficult in 2017 because we live in the grilled cheese chicken finger generation. And we're going to go and we're going to accept what people give us. I, I watched online the other day and there was this list of where a group of pastors were discussing this meme and the meme was a list of foods and it said to give yourself one point for everything on the list that you won't eat. And I read through the list and I, I had one. One. That's not funny. I don't appreciate your laughter in the back. But I noticed that some guys were... Someone had 21. Someone had 19. I saw someone with 30. I didn't even know four-year-olds had Twitter. That Jesus would send us into a world and he would encourage us, hey, just be where you are. It doesn't say you need to do things that are going to make you sick. What? But the concept that you have here is that we would exist not for ourselves. When you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. The idea of healing is a really hard thing to talk about. If you're a pastor of a church, because honestly, it's not something that we... It's not something that we experience... On, in large scale situations we have healing that's on terrible television channels but the idea is that you would be present and provide peace in places that need your presence and peace and we do trust that God can heal if we don't believe that God can heal we have ceased to believe that God is all powerful But when you enter a town, verse 10, and don't receive, and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it is more, bear, it is more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then Jesus lays out these cities... that weren't receptive. Woe to you, Chorazon. Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it's going to be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heavens? You shall be brought down to Hades. Jesus is talking about what's around him. It's the concept of... That he is saying that this message that he sent his followers with is a critical one. The, the language he uses, the points of reference that he makes, says to those who are hearing his followers, these 72, what you're saying has not just life significance now, it has eternal significance. When we talk about what it means to believe the gospel, uh, there are multiple implications of it. 
The implications of the gospel is that we as followers of Jesus should see poverty different than those who do not follow Jesus. An implication of the gospel for us is that we should see the, the hurting around us differently than those who would not claim to be a follower of Jesus. And we could go on and on and on and on with this list. That we as those who follow Jesus see the world around us and believe that Jesus changes everything. And that comes with the implication that we would insert ourselves in situation. And we would say when the world, a, world, a word that we have to be careful with. When the world says you go right, we as believers say we go left. When the world says that we go left, that we as believers go right. We will always follow the way of Jesus. Gospel implication. However, if we are not careful, the implications of the gospel are just for what takes place in this finite existence. And Jesus seems to be making claims over and over about eternal things. If we lose sight of eternity, then we have separated ourselves from the very gospel itself. That we would love for sinners to come to know Jesus, not because we convert them by force or coerce them by how smart and persuasive we are, but we believe that the God who we present is well capable of saving them. If we miss that, we've made this into a trite thing. Because I can be nice to people on Sunday mornings. Well, I can't. Not at my house. But lots of us can. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. So, so that fear, that lack of qualification, Jesus says, this is about me. What drives us? Again, the mission is clear. The method is the church. The message is critical. And the motive is Christ. The motive is Christ. The 72 return with joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I just want to pause for a second. How many of you have a friend in your life that always has a better, has a better story than you do? Anybody? Just raise your hands. Let me know you're with me on this Sunday morning at Grace Bible. That's Jesus right here. Do you see what he just did to his friends? Hey... The demons are listening to us. And you oh, well, I saw the devil fall from heaven. <laughs> I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. Nothing's going to hurt you. Now those things can hurt you. This is again Jesus bringing this to an eternal picture. Those things don't get to be your end. Do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you. 
But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus, he drives us and says, don't lose sight of what your joy should be. So churches can do that. Bodies of people who gather together who were really messed up can do that. Sinful people coming together around a common mission. We can easily celebrate the wrong things as ultimate and the major things as not so ultimate. Churches can struggle with things like celebrating the fact that we, what we do with the budget or celebrating the idea that we uh, have checked this off of our Sunday list or we can make that list long. Jesus is saying, never forget that what holds us as his people is that our names are written in heaven. Uh, my watch, and, and many of you who have a smart watch, have noticed that it likes to shame you by telling you how much you have or have not walked during the day. And here's what that looks like on an Apple watch. I, I, see those circles... The red circle is for calories burnt. The green circle is for energy, is for exercise. And the blue circle is for standing. Now, I always, always, always fill out my blue circle because I drink too much water. But with my, my green circle, that's exercising for uh, 30 minutes or Six hours a day, whatever. So you've got that, and I will look down at my watch, and I'm like, I, I didn't get that. And the red circle, bless my soul. I don't know the last time that I saw that thing finished. It was 11.54 the other night, and I looked, and I was 27 calories away from fulfilling the circle. So I stood up and started running in place. And then I found myself in the freezer getting ice cream. (laughs) It's a reminder of what we're supposed to be about. Of what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus says here that we find our joy. That's what the word rejoice means. We talked about that a lot. You find joy over and over and over and over in this. Not that the spirits are subject to you. Not that you've met budget. Not that, again, the list can be long of good things that we can say we are good Christians because we've done these good things. But don't let those be ultimate because the ultimate thing for a believer is that our names are written in heaven. And if we get that, the mission becomes more clear. Our grasp as our people of the method, it becomes more obvious. The message becomes even more critical. Because Jesus pushes us there. What reminders are are there for you? One of those that we have as believers that we don't ever lose sight that our names are written in heaven is something called uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. And we're going to take that right now. 
Um, I would invite you just to, to bow your heads and, and listen to me for a moment as you begin to prepare your heart for that. Look, if you're a believer in Jesus, even if you're not a member of Grace Bible, you please take communion with us. Celebrate these two things that God's body, Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And these elements are going to be handed to you. And, the, and as the band sings over us a new song about how we've been saved, God saved us, you take this at whenever you feel that you should. When you work through thanking God for what He's done on your behalf, when you, when you consider the importance of His broken body and shed blood.